You're listening to Westminster on the Fly, a podcast from the Appalachian Roundtable with your host, Pastor Andy Steyer. Hello, welcome to Westminster on the Fly. I am your host, Pastor Andy Steyer. I'm the pastor of Canal Saline's Presbyterian Church in Malden, West Virginia. Malden is a few miles east of the capital city of Charleston. And uh, this is episode seven. Now, from what I understand, episode seven is usually when podcasters experience something called the podcast fade, which means that very few podcasts make it past their seventh episode. So we will see what will happen with that. Uh, Yesterday, um, Wednesday, May 5th, the podcast officially launched, so uh, you all will not hear this episode for uh, another month and a half, but uh, hopefully by then I've recorded episodes past episode seven. Also, uh, I've been informed by someone highly influential in my life, primarily my wife, who thinks I need a co-host because uh, she finds it... (laughs) She finds it incredibly boring to just listen to me, which is always encouraging for a pastor when his wife finds him boring to listen to. Now, I I know what she's saying. Uh, if you're out there and you want to be co-host of this podcast and you think you have the intellectual prowess to keep up with my stunning intellect, that's a joke, by the way, um, I would love to have somebody on here with whom I can banter. Uh, Anyway, enough of that. Uh, Let's look at the catechism question for this week. We've been talking about the decrees of God. We've been talking about how God executes his decrees two ways, the works of creation and providence. We talked about the works of creation in the last episode. We are now looking at question and answer number 11 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving, and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. His most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. Uh, In some ways, I feel like this is the climax of what we've been talking about with God's eternal decrees. Um, And I think many people sort of shudder at some of what we've been talking about as we realize the awesome power of God to do as he pleases, to ordain whatever he wills, and uh, to ordain not only the ends, but also ordain the means through which his decrees come to pass. Uh, for, For many people, maybe even all people, taking comfort in that kind of utterly raw sovereignty uh, can be difficult and hard at times because it requires first the recognition that we ultimately are in control of absolutely nothing, and it also requires the utmost trust in 
God. A trust in not only God's sovereignty, but in his goodness. A trust in the fact that his decrees are truly right and good and good for us. Now, uh, taken by themselves, the questions on the eternal decrees of God can shake us to the core of who we are. Again, it challenges the illusion that we all build up in our own minds that we ultimately are the sovereign of our own life. Uh, And so talking about God's sovereign decrees really cuts us to the heart of what we want to believe about ourselves, about our lives, about the circumstances around us. And that is, uh, as I said, that is that is bone rattling for us. But when the catechism comes along uh, and it reminds us of God's sovereign decrees, it reminds us of how he executes those decrees, um, it also then reminds us of something beautiful and hopeful and wonderful. And that is this great reality, that God, by the means of his works of providence, is preserving us. Not only is he preserving us, he's preserving all of his creation. If we were to break down this word preserve, um, particularly in its Latin root, we see that the word means something Again, truly wonderful. The word means literally to be kept in advance. To be kept in advance. And that is what God is doing with us, with all of his creation. He is keeping us. But more than that, not only is he keeping us in the moments of our lives, he, is, he has actually determined in eternity past, to keep us. His preservation, in other words, which is essential to his acts of providence, his preservation is eternally determined. Now, when we talked about the eternal decrees of God, we talked already about how God is uh, not some sort of cosmic first responder. In other words, he's not sitting back and he's not simply responding to the emergencies of of life in this created world. Uh, He's he's not doing damage control, so to speak, right? Uh, He's not reacting to the will and the whims of fallen creatures. Instead, he is reigning sovereign over everything and everyone. He is governing all of his creatures and all their actions. Now, to be clear, that does not mean we are robots. We are not fatalists. Fatalism is not Reformed theology. Fatalism is not Christianity. Fatalism is paganism. People who worship Odin are fatalists. God governing all his creatures and all their actions is not fatalism. Governing the actions of others is not the same as controlling, like a video game character, uh, 
or like a robot, every single one of their actions. The point here is that nothing is outside of his rule and his dominion and through his governing of all his creatures and all their actions, he is actively preserving us. Especially if we are part of his covenant people. Hopefully now we we start to see the comfort and peace that comes from knowing that God is sovereignly executing his decrees through the works of providence. Hopefully, uh, as we begin to realize that God is preserving and governing all things, uh, we begin to see the comfort in the realization that God is not only decreeing the ends, but also decreeing the means through which the ends are accomplished. Now, why is that comforting? Because in it all, whatsoever comes to pass, we know that God in his acts of providence is ruling over everything and not only ruling, but is preserving us, his covenant people through it all. Uh, go to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, and look, look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is the Levites speaking. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is what the Levites say. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. This was actually part of our call to worship this past Sunday. Nehemiah chapter 9, these verses are ones that I will use in somewhat regular rotation at Canal St. Leans as our call to worship. Uh, This is the Levite's doxology of praise here in the book of Nehemiah. As the people of God were coming out of exile, exile in Babylon and eventually Persia, and they were able to return to the promised land and rebuild the temple, rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the walls around Jerusalem, and they hold this um, service of dedication Look at what the Levites, look at what the Levites say. They recognize the king of all creation. And even through their exile and restoration, what do they do? They can't help but sing a doxology of praise, which recognizes, again, the king of all creation, but also recognizes his love, his care, his preservation, his preservation of his covenant people, his preservation of the whole of creation. That's very important. In this doxology from Nehemiah chapter 9, they see and they praise God for his preservation for the whole of creation and then uh, and specifically his preservation and care for his own people. The doxology that's found in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, is a grand statement of God's faithfulness 
to his eternal covenant. And so here, as the people of God, the restored people of God, allowed to reenter the promised land after uh, decades of exile, here, as these people were restored, as they were set free from the bondage, from bondage and exile, what do they do? They realize that God had indeed preserved them. He had not abandoned them. And in that realization, their hearts overflowed with praise to the faithful God. There's something eschatological there, brothers and sisters. There really is. Because the day will come when we, as God's covenant people, will enter into the eternal promised land of the new creation, a land, this creation, which will be fully restored and purged of all the effects of sin. The cur- as far as the curse is found, everything will be un- all the everything cursed will be undone and made new. And when we enter into that eternal promised land, we, as God's people living in the land with God himself, we will sing a doxology for all of eternity, which recognizes the wonderful truth that God has preserved us, preserved us as we right now are living in a land that is not our own, as we are living as exiles we will someday be restored. And in that eternal promised land, we will sing a doxology very similar to the one that the Levites are singing right uh, here in Nehemiah chapter 9. It's not only eschatological, though, really. It's a wonderful reminder for us right now as well. While we are living in exile, while we are strangers in a strange land, that God is indeed preserving us right now. And he will make sure he will see us through to that further shore. Uh, So this question of God's works of providence, brothers and sisters, is a great reminder that God will keep you. He has eternally determined to keep you. Before the world was created, before the fall of man, before sin and death and suffering ever entered into the good creation, God has determined to keep you. And his preservation will not falter. It will not fail. He will keep you until the end when we ourselves come into our inheritance, when we ourselves are set free from exile and bondage. Then on that great and final day, we will join the hosts of heaven before the throne of God above and worship him for all eternity. It's a wonderful hope that this idea of the providence of God brings us. And let me, let me remind you of something. If you are struggling with this idea of the utterly raw sovereignty of God, with this idea that God uh, has issued eternal decrees and is governing all his creatures and all his actions, let me, let me remind you of this. This great eschatological hope that every Christian has, it is only possible. It is only certain. It is only sure if God is utterly sovereign. If God has indeed 
all things in eternity past and is working through the works of creation and providence to carry about to execute his sovereign decrees. If God is not this sovereign, if God is not uh, this powerful, if God has not in eternity past decreed all things, then we can't be certain of our future. But he has done so. And we know that God is indeed working all things according to the counsel of his own will, both for his glory and for the good of those who love him. So that's question and answer number 11. Next uh, next episode, um, you're going to see how all of these things about the providence of God and uh, God's eternal decrees uh, are important to understand as we begin to talk about uh, covenants. Uh, question and answer number 12 deals with a special act of providence that God has exercised towards man uh, in the estate wherein he was created. In other words, we're going to begin to talk about the first covenant that God entered into man, uh, the covenant of works, or the catechism calls it the covenant of life. Uh, And so we're really going to start venturing into the realm of covenant theology next week, starting with question and answer number 12 of the Shorter Catechism. And that discussion on covenant theology uh, is grounded upon the foundation of God's eternal decrees and God's works of creation and providence. So uh, this is all very important. And I think as we work our way through the confession, or I'm sorry, the shorter catechism, you're going to see how it is very systematic and everything that the catechism begins to get into builds off of what came before it. So I hope you'll join us next time, episode number eight. Uh, This has been episode number seven, and we look forward to being with you next week. 